All right. Welcome, everybody. I am back with uh, Diana Aguiar. Um, welcome back, Diana. <laughs> uh, this time, so we we uh, we spoke last in, in 2020 on the Brief podcast, uh, and now um, we were talking about Bolsonaro's Brazil and Bolsonaro and fascism in Brazil, and uh, and so I wanted desperately to bring Diana back after. Uh, the electoral result of this past uh, Sunday. We're recording on um, on the uh, 3rd of November, and I believe the election was on the 30th, uh, the runoff election where Lula uh, defeated Bolsonaro at the polls by about 2 million votes, which was nonetheless a pretty close <laughs> result, which I, uh, we will talk about Um with Deanna. So uh, Deanna Aguiar is a, a scholar activist, uh, Brazilian scholar activist. Um, and uh, I'm so pleased that you're back. Thanks for coming back, Deanna. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So, um, you know, I just first of all, you know, when I when I wrote you after the election, I said, you know, uh, when you guys are done celebrating, <laughs> if, if you have a chance to talk to me. So I've just yeah, like, how are you? How, you know, as you know, on the Brazilian left, you know, how is everybody feeling? How are you feeling um, after this uh, result? Honestly, it feels like we can breathe again after many years of being in constant mm -hmm. state of alert. So I don't think the celebration will be over for a long time. <laughs> Are you in Sao Paulo? No, I'm in Salvador de Bahia in the Northeast. Okay. So oh. for you to have an idea here, Lula had 70%. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. So well, we mentioned uh, before I hit the record button, these uh, kind of roadblocks that the Bolsonaro supporters are putting up. I, I imagine there's not too much of that in the, in the zones where Lula won 70 plus. Uh, percent of the vote yeah not really in my state <laughs> for instance there's no <laughs> so i mean you know looking at the numbers you know uh, again brian meyer from uh, brazil wire pointed out that uh, you know both trump and um i can't remember trump and somebody else basically lost the popular vote but one i guess bush uh, george bush two they both lost the popular vote, but won the election uh, in the U.S. But and, but nonetheless, the U.S. media is constantly talking about how close the uh, runoff was. Uh, but it, you know, in a way, in percentage terms, it was close. Um, you know, was that expected uh, all along? You know, was is this something that uh, people on the left in Brazil are, are kind of talking about? Like, how did it, how did it get so close? Or is it more like I can't believe we won? Um, you know, against all I the think, odds. Yeah, I think all the polls in the running up towards the second uh, round didn't show Bolsonaro as close to Lula as he ended up being. But there are different factors to understand why this happened. And we can talk more about that if you want in terms of how to... Because if we look at only the numbers, like the close difference, of course, that's not reassuring at all. But if we take a step back and analyze the numbers with caution, I think there might be some more space for strategic thinking about what it means and what can be done about it moving forward. 
Yeah, because um, there's this, there's a real coal, like uh, all everything I'm reading is like, this was a coalition, right? Like there's a whole coalition element to this, the coalition that defeated Bolsonaro. So yeah, is that so where for, the strategic, yeah. Tell yeah, me. exactly. Like for instance, um, I would say the numbers do not represent organic support to Bolsonaro or even to Lula for that matter. So Lula's voting was of 60 million. Uh, in Brazil, we don't have the type of uh, electoral process in the US. So it's one person, one vote. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't have like regional or anything else uh, uh, putting pressure on the, the end result in the end. Um, and 60 million people is the biggest vote any presidential candidate ever got in Brazilian history. And an important part of this vote, voting for Lula is, of course, of organic supporters, or at least of people that remember his government as a better one. But at the same time, many people voted for Lula across the political spectrum, even center-right people, because they were aware that Bolsonaro is anti-democratic and that a second term by him could mean the last steps towards that dismantling what's left of our democracy. And in the same line, Bolsonaro's voter base obviously includes organic supporters, but also there are people that voted for him for different reasons. There were, for instance, many chargers of employers that were harassing against their employees uh, for not voting so they wouldn't vote for the Workers' Party. It's hard to say how much of this was successful in impacting the voting landscape, but it seems important to note that people were voting in a context of social conflict and pressure and not as free as we would like it to be. Plus there was, um, Bolsonaro used public, public resources in a way that is unprecedented in our, in our history into uh, questionable actions to influence vote. And we hope there will be massive corruption investigations about this in the near future to unveil uh, what this might have meant. But perhaps most importantly, I would say, is that we must remember that for over 10 years, there was a widespread defamation campaign against the Workers' Party, especially within the mainstream media. Of course, the situation is radically different now on the way the party is por portrayed by the media in general. You clearly see this on the way many highly visible journalists and political commentators position themselves now, even center-right um, journalists. But at the same time, and in line with this change that you see in the way the media portrays, you also see people have changed their perception of the party in general. Still, there is a relevant number of people that still closely associate the Workers' Party to corruption and that voted for Bolsonaro, not because they necessarily support everything he does and says, but because they supposedly are against corruption, even though corruption charges against Bolsonaro, his government and his family are massive. And also related to that, many people voted for Bolsonaro for the wildest assumptions, such as that Lula was going to close churches or that he would destroy what they call the traditional family or that he would turn Brazil into a communist dictatorship. It sounds laughable. But the social and political effects of the fake news campaign led by the far right is palpable and tragic. Everyone in Brazil knows people in their, at least in their family and in other circles 
that seem to believe in this type of, of hallucination and with whom rational arguments seem to be impossible. Yeah. And obviously, because these fake news are effective, uh, they also resonate with people's racism, homophobia, sexism, and classism. So it's really a tragic thing. But there is a question of how much support base Bolsonaro will be able to sustain without being in the government, without all the visibility that this entails, and without the state machinery and financial resources to maneuver. Right. There are analysts that believe that his base will shrink to its organic core, especially as many people see their living conditions improving in the future, or maybe the stability that is provided by a president that takes his job seriously, such as Lula. <laughs> so we don't know. We don't know how it's going to be. But I would look at those numbers with caution. You know, it, it doesn't yeah. look like all of these people will remain tied to Bolsonaro's figure uh, in the coming future. So... Uh, that, those are all really, really important points. And I, you know, the idea of Bolsonaro's base potentially, you know, shrinking now that he doesn't have the same, uh, you know, even patronage power, right? To give, just give money out to his friends and <laughs> that kind of stuff too, right? Exactly. Um, but like, there's also, um, like immediately after the, well, there's a story uh, of immediately after Obama was elected uh, that, you know, the Koch brothers, these billionaires um, got together a bunch of billionaires and political figures and media figures. And they had a series of meetings about how to block um, Obama, any, Obama from doing anything that they might not like. So, you know, all the different astroturfed movements that they would do, the media campaigns, the Congress people that they would use, the all of these machineries that they still have. And I, I can't help but think that this is going to be uh, how it's going to work in Brazil as well. So I'm wondering what you think. I mean, Lula, Lula is trying, you know, Lula as this negotiator seems to be looking always for ways to improve things for poor people without antagonizing rich people and, you know, improve Brazil's place in the world without antagonizing the U S too much. And, uh, and like that always seems to be the way that Lula goes about things. Um, and to what extent do you see the possibility for the Bolsonaro and the right wing? Um, by the way, like what you describe about like the impossibility of having, you know, political debate and discussion and disinformation, that's completely true in Canada and the U.S. now. Uh, you know, the vaccine was a big issue uh, over COVID. So, you know, definitely we all also mm -hmm. know that that uh, feeling <laughs> up here as well. Uh, but like um, the the um, yeah. So what do you think about the possibilities for sabotage of the of the agenda and like making sure that Lula can't accomplish much, uh, which I think is where things are going to go? I, maybe I'm being very optimistic, but I feel like right now Lula's um, way of being a good negotiator is actually a good thing because the country is very divided and we need someone that is able to uh, negotiate and talk with different um, forces across the political spectrum, except the extreme right, obviously. I mean, this should be out of the picture. Anyway, and we don't know yet what Bolsonaro's organic core base will be 
It could be around 20%, it could be less. This is not neglectable, but I think this could be confronted if we take this challenge seriously. For a while, Bolsonaro was treated as a joke and he continued to grow until most people, including myself, were shocked and surprised that he was electorally viable. I think we were taken by surprise in 2018. And I think right now, all democratic forces, and I don't mean only progressives or left-wing, I think everyone that is really scared about what happened in the last four years, we know Bolsonaro's defeat is a second chance we got to face this extreme right and fascist threat to democracy in a coordinated manner. And let's not forget that after Bolsonaro leaves office on January 1st, he becomes a regular citizen in terms of criminal charges. Many cases that are now either stalled by the general public prosecutor that appointed that was appointed by him or that are running the Supreme Court are going to migrate to lower instances in the judiciary system. And in this scenario, these prospects are not tranquilizing for him. He might be uh, going to jail in the future. Uh, it's something that people will wonder if the, the justice system will go um, to that length. And there are clearly criminal charges and evidence uh, wide enough for that to happen. So let's see. It will all depend on how things play out in the near future. But I really believe there is not... Um, that he will be more in a defensive position and not the contrary. Hmm. So in terms of like rhetoric uh, after the election, did Lula, I, I haven't seen anything. Did Lula sort of say, I'm, I'm here to be president of all Brazilians and like I offer a, a you know, a olive branch to Bolsonaro or is it more like, you know, a little bit? Absolutely. He yeah. said, "This is there is only one Brazil. I'm going to govern to everyone, not only for the people who voted for me. This was his first speech. And he said, this is not, and many times throughout his campaign, he said, this is not going to be a government of the Workers' Party. This is going to be a government of reconstruction uh, and reclaiming our democracy back. So from the beginning, he made it clear he understood the challenge he has ahead of him. And I think his writing pointed that. I don't think he would have got, gotten many of the votes he got if he would act as if he's the president of the left or of progressives uh, even, because it's not the reality. A lot of people gave him a, a vote of confidence because they recognize him as a person that is a Democrat, that will respect institutions. So I'm sure uh, this is going to be a, like uniting force of the government he, he is going to, to do. So <laughs> that, you know, you said he'll respect institutions. I, I guess, you know, the immediate question that I think of is, will the institutions respect him in the sense that we're, we are talking about a pretty contrived case uh, against him that kept him in jail for a pretty long time and barred him from running. And so like, uh, you know, what is the, is is there a plan? You were saying it's a second chance, but like, what's the plan for preventing another uh, car wash, another coup against, uh, you know, the Workers' Party from happening uh, mm -hmm. again? 
I think the political landscape is very different now compared to then. I, that was pre-Bolsonaro. And I don't feel a lot of the people that were in line with the car wash investigation and that were in favor of the coup in 2016 against Yuma, they now realize uh, things didn't uh, took place the way they should. And after Bolsonaro came into power and all he did was create social havoc. I'm pretty sure there is a greater sentiment now that, okay, we need to be able to talk across different, um, uh, different across our differences. And Lula's campaign kind of showed that, like his vice president is a former adversary. They ran against each other he was a governor of the state of Sao Paulo. He's a center-right politician, but different from Michel Temer, which was Dilma's vice president and person who uh, led the coup d'etat against her. Uh, this guy, Geraldo Alckmin, he is a Democrat. He's not a traitor. So the fact that Lula called him to be his vice president also is a sign that he's not got, he's, he doesn't he knows this government cannot be a workers' party government only, you know? And I would say, if you take the jailing of Lula in 2018, for instance, of course, all charges against him were since dropped and he is considered innocent by the justice system. And this is important, not only as a juridical decision, but also politically, his situation is radically different now. He's much greater than he, he was before that happened. The leaks of conversations between the public prosecutor team of the car wash investigation and the judge that convicted Lula showed they colluded and they had a political agenda for framing him. And as you know, that former judge, Sergio Moro, became the minister of justice in Bolsonaro's government. So he was responsible to jail the front running candidate in 2018 elections, who was Lula allowing for Bolsonaro to win and then join the government of the candidate he favored. And it's kind of clear to everyone that wants to see this, that Lula was a political prisoner. And even some people that cheered at his imprisonment then now recognize he's innocent. But I would, so I would say the political landscape is, is rather different than it was before. And the coalition that elected Lula is very broad and it has, as a uniting force, the defense of democracy. There is a widespread sentiment in our society that we cannot continue to live with this amount of political instability if we are to overcome economic and social crisis. Plus the type of cultural war that the extreme right promotes has exhausted many people. And I feel Lula's conciliatory discourse suits a widespread craving for less social conflict. So I'm optimistic. I think, I think Lula is, is um, able enough, and even his vice president also is able to talk with different parts of people in the political, like of, of the political spectrum. And I, I really feel they they are going to be able to make a stable government in that sense. I mean, this vice president issue is, <laughs> you know, I'm glad you mentioned it because, you know, last time we talked in 2020. Uh, you recommended this Netflix documentary, The Edge of Democracy, uh, which I watched, I don't know, twice. It was, it's one of those documentaries where you're amazed that they got 
footage is like footage of like Lula and Dilma talking in a car at one point. Um, but like that documentary and some of the stuff I've read since was very, um, you know, basically assigned a major role to the then vice president, uh, Michael Temer, I think was his name. Uh, to in in the coup against Dilma, and it's sort of like by by this whole concept of like you know keep your friends close and your enemies closer, you're actually letting people in to the you know hallways of power that are undermining you from within. So you know again the question is like is the you know on the one hand it's great to be conciliatory, on the other hand are you letting people in t- that are going to be saboteurs from the inside? Um, I think the people that made uh, the coup in 2016 also profited from everything that you've mentioned, and there are changes since then. So one major change is mainstream media. I think they are with a different approach now uh, than they were at that time. But also the political forces that led the coup in 2016, they seized a particular moment in which the president at that time, Dilma Rousseff, was a very weak politician and the Workers' Party was widely under attack and the landscape is very different now. Uh, and I think Lula has said many times that his government is going to be not of the Workers' Party, but a brother. Of course, this has problems for us in the left because we are afraid how much concession will he make in the Yeah, end. exactly, exactly. But we kind of understand that at this moment, I mean, there are going to be necessarily negotiations to move forward because what we had lost is just so much bigger. Uh, we need to build basic things, you know, basic things back. So I, I don't feel, I don't feel like, um, I think there is a lot, there is a big learning curve, but also there is everything that we, we went through. Um, taught a lot of things for the Workers' Party, but I think taught a lot of things for society in general. One of Brazil's big, biggest influencers, which is someone that has no... He's, he's one of the persons that have more followers in Twitter and YouTube on the planet, not only in Brazil. And he wasn't like a person that discussed politics in his um, social media. And he was before very critical of Dilma. He was very young. And now he do he did like a self-criticism kind of and he became one of the most active voices for lula's election saying i'm not a left-wing i'm not gonna be necessarily supporting lula and everything he does but this is the moment to defeat bolsonaro we need to secure our democracy so i feel there is a broad sense of that urgency within Brazilian society. And I think Lula is going to really channel that. Hmm. Wow. I mean, that it's, it, it's interesting, the whole idea that people could get exhausted of, <laughs> of that kind of division. Uh, it's, it's, encur- it's an encouraging thought in that sense. Um, I, I was wondering too about the regional context. You know, I, the, the one thing, the thing that most upset me uh, about the first time around with Lula was, uh, you know, the Brazilian leadership of the Minusta mission, you know, whereas, mm-hmm. 
like Venezuela was, was very strong in support of, you know, the, the elected government in Haiti that was overthrown. Uh, you know, I, I, I felt like one of these negotiations uh, that Lula engaged in, probably in the hope of, you know, placating the U.S. and building the, you know, potentially getting a seat on the Security Council um, was to, you know, basically take over the leadership of the United Nations mission in Haiti, which was totally disastrous for Haitians, you know, really brought cholera, you know, you know, rampant sexual abuse, all these violent Mm -hmm. operations in the in the neighborhoods, you know, just and it was it was really bad. And I gather, you know, when I when I wrote about this on Twitter, a lot of Brazilians wrote back and said, yeah, and not only that, but like, the Brazilian uh, generals who led that operation actually came back and became big Bolsonaro supporters. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say that the now government governor of Sao Paulo, the elected governor of Sao Paulo, one of the main supporters of Bolsonaro was an, uh, an engineer military in the minister operation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, and and Haiti is now there, you know, the US and Canada and other countries are now building up to another uh, military occupation of Haiti, you know, they're they're making those trial balloons. And so, you know, this is another I see this as obviously, you know, the Haitians are the biggest uh victims of this, but it's also another like trap I see set for for Brazil if uh, and for Lula in particular if he if he kind of goes back into that kind of world and it it does raise some interesting questions for me because like you know we have Petro in Colombia we have AMLO in Mexico we have you know the the pro Evo person back in Bolivia Ecuador we we won't talk about Ecuador for now <laughs> It's just a gloss over that. But but like at the same time, uh, you know, you have various left-wing governments, uh, including now Brazil, but it doesn't feel like the whole is able to add up to more than the sum of the parts. It seems like uh, the context, I, I don't even know, I, can, I have a hard time putting my finger on why, but it seems like the context is not favorable for these governments to get much strength from each other. Uh, do you what's your what's your read on that like where Brazil fits in with for example Colombia etc mm-hmm. well I think Venezuela's situation is rather unique um, compared to others because I, w- I wouldn't say that right now like I don't I wouldn't say Lula would run any political costs to support Maduro and most people in the left in Brazil, wouldn't claim that democracy is being strengthened by Maduro, for instance. But for sure, Lula will keep, in the case of Venezuela, a policy of non-intervention and respect to Venezuela's people's self-determination, for instance. But towards other countries in South America, especially in in Mexico, I would say probably Lula, Lula will strengthen the ties with Latin America during his term. Um, the first visit Lula received by a foreign leader after being elected on Sunday was Argentina's leftist president, Alberto Fernandez. He came here on Monday and on Sunday, actually, Mujica, the former president of Uruguay, was together with Lula throughout the whole time. I believe this is, this is a sign that this is really uh, dear to Lula's agenda. But 
It's a four-year government. And after all, Lula claimed he won't run for re-election, which seems likely considering his age. And after four years of a government that will probably more, be more focused on rebuilding what was destroyed rather than... So it, this sounds more like a transition government and not a programmatic government, so to speak. And honestly, after everything we've been through, this is already a lot. Uh, I don't think... So I think there is going to be definitely something better in terms of regional policy, politics in Lula's government than we had before. That's for sure. It's a question how far Lula will be able to go in such a short period of time. And I think Lula's election is just the beginning of a long road ahead. And I think we should probably um, not expect from him the tasks that should be led by younger generations. So, yeah, and just to say the whole Minusta thing is a disaster and we were very critical about this uh, during the time um, Brazil was there. And and even the way the Minusta operation was actually also uh, used in the same, there was a, a military um, strategies that are also that were also tested afterwards in Brazilian favelas. So there are many several studies about that, about how yeah. the armed forces acted there and then took this uh, learning yeah. to act in the Brazilian favelas afterwards. So this is definitely a disaster, and it's Brazil exporting what it has worst. You know. Yeah, but do do you do you is there any sense that that uh, critique has reached the ears of <laughs> Lula, for example. Um, um, I really, yeah. I'm really not sure. I really don't yeah. know what is what's their internal debate on the minister. This been this has been out of the political yeah. agenda for a long time now, and I am really not aware of how they've been dealing with that. One thing that I can say is that during the campaign, which is not necessarily the minister, but during the campaign. Lula was very vocal in terms of uh, racism in Brazil and also uh, the fact that people in the favela are not uh, all like outlaws, you know, these are workers, yeah, yeah. these are people that are, and I, I know I'm not talking about Haiti and the minister per se, but because of how this is perceived by us, the uh, actions of Brazil in the minister it's very much perceived as an extension of how Brazil deals with yeah. favelas and favela population. I feel the way he framed these during his campaign and the fact that he visited different favelas and also uh, had very good contact with important movement leaders from the favelas are maybe a sign that he kind of uh, understands that there needs to be a different approach to that moving forward. So I, I just keep thinking about like the last time. And so you you just mentioned that Lula is uh, not going to run uh, again in 2026. He's old. And like one of the problems last round was like you just said, somehow the party or the machinery or Lula or whatever, like picked someone who did not have Lula's uh, visibility, credibility, charisma, skills, um, you know, credentials. And, and so again, 
you know, tw- four years is a is you know is it's a, it's an important four years for sure. But like when when this is done, you know, are are people worried about like is there somebody on the horizon that uh, that is being you know put out in public? Are there a number of leaders? Is there some collective? Is there some hope for some something after Lula is gone? Uh, that is not like a Dilma that's going to get, um, you know, fall into every trap and trick that that the other side has. So I think so far we have talked a lot about the challenges of Lula's government. And this, this thing that you're talking about, that your question now is on something that for me is the biggest challenge of the Workers' Party and yeah. the left in the future, you know, um, apart from the government itself, but how as a social and political force, we're going to build new personalities. And this is something that honestly, it took too much for the Workers' Party to worry about. And Lula, uh, it's not only that he has all this charisma and leadership, but I don't think he left space for other people to really be capable of being at a, a size that could be comparable to him. I don't think that's even possible given his history, but you know what I mean? And maybe the, the main example of that is Marina Silva. Marina Silva was his minister of environment in his first government. And then she left after Dilma and her beca- began having a lot of conflicts with each other. And Marina Silva was, um, comrade of Chico Mendes in the Amazon. She's a person, she's from the Amazon. She was the youngest senator elected in Brazil. She's a black woman. She's an evangelical. She's very amazing in many ways. And she ran for presidency. Um, And she, her campaign was completely attacked by the Workers' Party, even with fake news, you know? And now during this campaign, she left all this hurt behind and she was there in his coalition supporting him. Uh, she's probably going to be the environment minister again. So she's the one, for instance, that my I personally, even though I feel she flirted with neoliberalism for a while um, and she had some um, questionable actions in the past, but she's someone that I feel could be, could have been more encouraged and cherished by the Workers' Party, so she wouldn't have left the party as she did. And then you have people that are in other parties like Bolus, who is who was the the deputy uh, with the biggest uh, voting uh, turnout in São Paulo. He's the leader of the um, how do you call that homeless people movement. In Brazil, yeah, yeah. and and he ran for São Paulo's uh, city as São Paulo city mayor in previous election. He's an he's young. He's someone that might be an important name in the future. He has run for president in the past, but honestly, with no possibility whatsoever. But he's a very interesting person. So I'm just flagging up these names, uh, but at the same time thinking there needs to be a change in the way the Workers' Party 
deal with their like younger generation and these different people that have maybe differences with Lula at certain points. Uh, And they need to find a way to have these people stay and, and really work within their differences. And I don't think this has, there are big, big signs of that. So I think the workers party has, um, very, very big challenges moving yeah. forward. There's the a, there's, there's a thread I sent you. There's a, some Twitter, uh, thread that I saw a, a couple of years ago. Like I think shortly after we talked where the, he was he was citing a, a journalist, uh, a Brazilian journalist, um, and he was talking about something called the PT Juridica, the PT Juridica, as like like he was basically arguing that there are real flaws in the way that the party operates, selects candidates, and like. Um, like in party democracy is that like a i don't know if you got a chance to see that but like is that mm-hmm. is that part of the problem in your view like the, i don't the, the i don't structure? know that uh that thing specifically but what i can say is that historically the workers party was for many many years probably one of the most amazing parties in the world in the way yeah. it, it was really connected to the basis and it lost a lot of that after uh many years in the federal government I've heard someone make a metaphor at a certain point after after Dilma's uh, Dilma was overthrown. Someone was saying, "It's you know when an astronaut goes into space and it and after many years comes back to the Earth and they can't walk properly because they have lost musculature." You know, yeah. so it's a bit like that. Like they've been so for so long in institutional corridors and doing that type of politics that in a way they lost the ways of doing politics on the ground, in the peripheries. I find that metaphor very good and it's very Mm -hmm. true. And Lula recognizes that. I'm not sure if as they recognize this, he will be able to make changes. I don't see that happening, honestly. I wish I would see that happen for the sake of what the Workers' Party means in terms of left politics in Brazil and the contributions it has had in the past and could still have in the future. But this is something that I I don't see a clear vision, a strategic vision for that. So for instance, they had someone that wanted to be to run for the government of Pernambuco, which is one of the most important states in the northeast of the country. She was first in the polls. She had to leave the party. She's a young woman. She had to leave the party because they preferred to support a candidate from another party to build coalition other than support her as a candidate. She left the party and she ran as a candidate from, for another party. She ended up losing, but she was second in the elections. And I think if she was in the workers' party, she might have won. You know what I mean? So this is the type of... Um, the coalition building should be more <laughs> in the government yeah. arena... Because once you are elected, you have to govern for everyone. But yeah. within the party and, you know, um, right. campaigns, I don't think this should be the case. And I don't see signs of this changing, unfortunately. And the other parties that have come up, in, last parties that have come up in the last few years, have been important and have been bringing new leaders, such as Bowles, for instance. 
but it's incomparable their size and their strength to what the workers party was once and still is you know so yeah a lot of questions there a lot of things to do moving yeah. forward for sure for I, the left i was gonna say the the journalist that this thread i i mentioned is quoting is someone named romulus maya duplo espresso i guess he's some kind of he has some I don't know crit- him. specific critique of the pt but anyway um uh yeah lots to do for sure so you know that that problem with candidates and selection and stuff that's also very much the case in canadian and and i know the u.s parties like at least the u.s the u.s has these primaries but uh but in canada the and i gather in the uk like the, the party candidate selection process is totally opaque <laughs> and like mm-hmm. not uh nobody really knows how somebody becomes a candidate and they can just purge them so like in canada there's a whole thing where like a lot of candidates who's who are pro-palestine for example just get purged from their candidacies because that's unelect it makes them unelectable mm-hmm. or so the party decides um but yeah i mean any, uh, you know, we talked about the regional context. Let's l- just one quick uh, throw out there in terms of like, what about the global context? Like it, Lula's mentioned BRICS, right? Like trying to revive the kind of relations with the, with the, I guess the non-US uh, powers in the world, Russia, China, India, uh, and so on. So like w- anything, what do you, any, any, interesting discussion in in brazil about that aspect of it yeah the great thing about lula is that i'm, I'm a person i'm in international relations department yeah. in the university so go. like international relations is really my my thing you know and, and we just uh, a minute about, 41 before we start talking about it <laughs> <laughs> uh so the thing the great thing about him is that he's really someone that kind of he liked being a president in the world. Like he liked doing mm. foreign policy, and it's something that not many many presidents necessarily like like to do. Like they they might like to be a president, but not necessarily be very engaged in the international yeah. arena. And Lula likes that, so he brings international relations and foreign policy to the electoral campaign. And in his uh, discourse after being elected, he mentioned several things. Uh, he mentioned, of course, the BRICS and and things that are very uh, um, key to the way he, he did foreign policy before, like speaking to all countries equally, not treating, not speaking, as, um, not being speaking in a subordinate way to the U.S. and not speaking as a tough guy to Bolivia. So that's the kind of the metaphor he uses all the time. So you speak that's to all countries equally. You are in the international arena promoting. Um, international negotiations. And he was very, very, very vocal about climate negotiations and environmental policies. And the fact that Marina Silva is most probably going to be his environmental minister is a really good news for everyone worried about the Amazon and the environment out there. Yeah, yeah. She was responsible for the policies that have dropped the deforestation in the Amazon in Lula's first years of governments by 85%. She was, she demarcated a lot of uh, protected areas in the Amazon. She has vision, she knows how to do it. So, and he's also going already to the COP, 
to the climate pact yeah. now, even before in Egypt, even before taking office, he's going to be there already. He already announced that. So just to say, I think Brazil is back in the international arena. Uh, yeah, yeah, great. In a way that it was like it, someone, a uh, diplomat spoke to one of the, the, the most important journalists that covers foreign, foreign policy in Brazil. So there was a diplomat that in, from Brazil that spoke under, uh, off the record. And he said, mm. from one day to the other, we became, we, we went from pariah to an yeah. international player. And that's really not something that happens every, every day. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I really feel he's going to be very active as he was before. And in terms of environmental uh, negotiations specifically, which is something that I, I really cover very much, but it was so preeminent in all his speeches and during his campaign. I think there's a lot of good things coming from there. Wow. Um, this is good. I'm, I'm very happy about this. <laughs> if, if he I'm can just stay out of Haiti, <laughs> if he can just stay out of oh, Haiti, please. I'll be, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I'd like to, uh, Deanna, I'd like to promote you to, um, special correspondent for Brazilian affairs, um, for this podcast. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll send you the, uh, I'll send you the application. Um, and, uh, you know, and we'll see if, uh, if you accept the terms. Uh, it would involve <laughs> <Thank you>. potentially. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> but but I, I you know I do meet you know let's if I'd love to talk to you again uh, and see how things are unfolding uh, after we have some more data maybe after a hundred days or something. Sure, let's do that. Okay. Thank you.